0: If you've been around here, you know we've been studying Romans chapter 8. We've called it the GOAT chapter of the Bible, the greatest of all time, because I think it is a powerful chapter, and we could debate about it, but I think it encompasses so much of who we are as Christians. And through these many weeks, I thought about it. I said, you know, when we get through with Romans 8, How many of us, or will I remember all the Scripture, the highlights, the lowlights as we went through Romans 8? Well, I remember those, and then I thought about Psalm number 118. If you have your Bibles with you, you might turn to this Psalm. Psalm, Psalm 119, I'm sorry, 119. In 119, when I used to read through the Psalms, a a chapter a day, 30 days you read through the Psalms, when I got to 119, my, 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 it's the longest chapter in the Bible, ladies and gentlemen, 176 verses. It takes a while. It seems like when I was reading a a chapter a day in Psalms during different times of quiet time, I'd get to 119, that'd be the very day I had a busy schedule and I didn't think I had time to read 176 verses. But in those 176 verses, verse number 11 is indeed interesting. It says, your word, God's word, I have treasured in my heart that I may not sin against you. So this means that in the Bible, There are scriptures, there are words of God in this operating manual that we need to have hidden in our heart. They need to be treasured within us so we can call upon them in every kind of situation of life. And I thought about what are those words in Romans chapter number 8 that we've already studied, those who've been around here. And, and I just marked those verses that stood out for me. If you don't have a Bible, there's one in the pew rack in front of you. I hope you'll have one, Romans chapter eight. And the verses I marked were verse one of eight, therefore there is now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. And when we're burdened and down and think we've lost all relationship with God as Christian, we need to be awakened to the fact there's no condemnation. And then verse 11 I've marked as one we need to hide in our hearts, but if the Spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through the Holy Spirit who dwells in you. In other words, when we're down right now, our mortal bodies, that verse says, hey, we've got the resurrected power of the Holy Spirit in our lives that will lift us up, verse 11. And then I moved over to verse 15. That's a verse we need. For you have not received the spirit of slavery leading to fear again, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by which we can cry out, Abba, Dad, Father, to know we have an intimate relationship with God. Boy, I marked that verse. Then I jumped over to verse 28, and we know that God causes all things to work together for good to those who love him, those who are called according to his purpose. And I said, I need that verse. And then verse 31 that we will bump into today and develop more fully. So you take those verses, you may pick out others and mark them down and say, you know, those are some of the verses we studied exegetically and rather thoroughly as we went through Romans 8, and I wanna have them available, available to me all through my life. Our Heavenly Father, we stop to pray and thank you for our Second Baptist School. We thank you for the passion in this service for many, many here, all of us virtually, We want to see a returning to you, Lord Jesus Christ, a returning to the church, and returning to education that's purpose is there to educate our children and to build in them character, and so hopefully many of them will come to a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. Lord, you speak now and let me get out of the way so that thy word and thy word alone might be heard. In Jesus' name, Amen. There's a cheer that you hear all over the state of Louisiana. If we verbalize it, the cheer for high school teams, cheer for the LSU Tigers, cheer for the New Orleans Saints. And to express it the way we would express it, we would say, who is that team who thinks they can beat the saints? That's how we say it in normal English. But those in Louisiana, they state it in a different way and I thought, I wonder if we could find a cheerleader who cheered for LSU and maybe the Saints as well, who could lead us in that cheer that expresses the same thing in a different way. And we have such a cheerleader here today in one, Laura Cates. (laughs) She cheered for LSU and the Saints. And so, by the way, remember in this, little parenthetical thing here, the word saint in the Bible is a synonym for Christian. So keep that in mind. Laura, how did you cheer when you cheered for the saints? Teach us how to do that. Are y'all ready? You're going to have to do it with me. All right, when we're cheering for the saints, we say, Who that? Who that? Who that say they're going to beat them saints? Come on now. Who dat? that? Who that? Who that say we're going to beat them, them saints? saints? Y'all stand up up and cheer with me now. This is your big chance. Here we go. Who, Who that? that? Who, that? That? Who, that? That? Who that say we're going to beat them safe? Who that? They added one thing she forgot. The answer is nobody. Thank you, Laura. Thank you very, very, very much. You say, where did that come from? <laughs> the NFL gets a cut of all the gear that is sold by all the NFL teams, that most woke NFL. But they haven't been able to get a cut of all the who that yells, they really haven't. They've had legal teams that have gone and looked all over Louisiana and other places to try to find where that originated. So if so, they would buy it, and then they would make more money with all the marketing of dat. But that legal team by the NFL at last report had not found the origin of that cheer. And they want to find it and buy it, and then they'll get a cut of all the dat gears that spread really all over America now. I hate to help the NFL, but I know the origin of that who that cheer. It's right here in the Bible. We've already studied it. It's verse 31, and we've already cheered it if you've been around here It's a powerful word, and that's the original source of that. If God is for us, who that can be against us? (laughs) (laughs) The answer is choir. (laughs) Nobody. All right. We're going to do that today the way it's intended. Don't tell the NFL. But I'll tell you, they can't buy these verses, can they? They can't do it. So let's try it. I will say, if God will, will, is for us, you'll say, who can be against us? And the choir is ready. If God is for us? Who can be against us? Nobody. Now, as we go back to our scripture, that was the verse we ended up with last time we gathered, but I wanna sort of bring us in an overview here of the whole book of Romans. It's interesting that Romans chapter one through chapter three is primarily saying everybody's a sinner. Jews, Gentiles, Greeks, nobody's gonna make it and have a relationship with God. You can't keep the law. You can't practice all the rituals. You're not gonna make it. Nobody's gonna make it. And you have three chapters in Romans saying exactly that to sum it up. And then you come to the end of chapter three. And ladies and gentlemen, that is the low moment in all the study of Romans. That's the bottom. That's the pit. And Paul is saying that's where we all are. I want you to look at it in chapter number three of Romans, and I'm gonna read what that pit sounds like. He says, what then? In fact, we're all losers. We're not gonna make it. That's verse nine, chapter three. Are we better than they? No, not at all. For we have already charged that both Jews, Gentiles, Greek, everybody are all under sin. Can't do business with God under sin. We know that. And then he describes what it is like. He said, there is none righteous, not even one. There is none who understands. There is none who seeks for God. All have turned aside. Together they become useless. There is no one who does good. There is not even one. Their throat is an open grave, and their tongues they keep deceiving the poison of ass is under their lips, whose mouth is full of cursing and bitterness, and their feet are swift to shed blood. Destruction and misery are in their faiths, and the the faith of peace they have not known. There is no fear of God in their eyes." There's no worship. That is the very bottom of life and that is a low point in the book of Romans and from that third chapter, Paul begins to build his case. He begins to show how all of this fails and why it fails. He begins to build with a little crescendo and it moves all the way up to chapter number eight and I want us to once again look at that. We've got our key verses. But it comes to a climactic moment with 28. All things, all things, things. Work together for good. To those who love the Lord. Those who are the call. According to his purpose. Now he's building up here in 28 and he goes and says, how do we know this is true? And then he gives for some a big word and we've unpacked those words. And he says very simply, let me tell you what, this is what God has done for us. He has foreknown us. That means before time, before the foundation of the world, he planned you out, he planned me out. Your DNA, your soul, your uniqueness has never been before and never will be again. He says you are foreknown. He says you are predestined to say it simply. That means that God has a plan for every life. And if you and I do not get in on that plan, wherever we are, whatever that plan is, there'll be a hole left in civilization that you and I could have filled. So we were foreknown, we're predestined, and we're called, and we have in us the ability to make a decision, a free moral agent, we have free will, and when the call of God comes, we can say yes, or we can say no, and therefore we respond to the call of God, he says, then we are justified. We got things settled with God, and settled with ourselves, and settled with our fellow man, That is his provision is made. And in justification, there's implication of sanctification, and that's where we are to grow up and mature in the Lord. And then the last word said, we'll be glorified. And glorification is in the present tense. It's already assumed that's where we're going. And then he gives that powerful 31st verse. If God is for us, and he develops this. Now, you say, well, that's good biblical stuff, but how do we know that is true? He tells us. Look at it there in verse 31 following. He says, he who did not spare his own son, but delivered him over to us all. Now, follow me there. What's the greatest need we have? What's the greatest need everybody? That is a need to deal with the garbage and trash, the sin in our life, and to be forgiven. And we know we said it in in Colossians, we're forgiven. In Hebrews, God forgets everything we've ever done. So let me say for the hump-teeth time, if that is a word, that when we turn from our sin, Jesus Christ, if we're in Christ, forgives our sin And then on top of that, he can do something we can't do. He forgets our sin. So quit bringing up all the old sin in your life. Would you do that before God? It's done, it's settled. That's what he's saying here. That's the reason we have that promise. How do we know that he's on our side, that who can be against us? He did not spare his own son. He said, will he not also with him freely give us all things? We know that all things work together, all things, and then God in Christ will give us all things. How does that work? Do fathers love to give good gifts to their children? Isn't that something? Now, once in a while you, you give gifts, uh, once in a while, bang, you knock a home run. That's a thrilling. How much more our heavenly Father loves to give good gifts for you And for me, the idea that he is reticent to do that, let's just say, for example, that uh, here are two brothers. They're both having a tough time, uh, struggling, COVID, the whole economy, and one brother gets out of a clear blue sky, a distant uncle that he never met, one brother, is left $90 million dollars right out of the sky, (laughs) he is stunned. But his brother whom he loves is struggling. He lost his job, his car was busted, he had no wheels. So this brother who'd inherited, bam, 90 million says, you know, I'm gonna right up front buy my brother a brand new car and he went down and bought a a $80,000 car for his brother now he could go at least find jobs and work in that new car. And so he, he says, I'm buying the car, and he purchased it, and when he got home, the dealer called and said, by the way, there's some more bells and whistles that could be available on that car, it's another $800. If you'd like to, we'll put those on. What do you think that brother will do? What do you think? I think, guarantee you, he said, man, put all the bells and whistles, eight $800 is nothing after I spent these thousands of dollars, put them on. That's what's happening here, folks. If God has so blessed us and given us his own son, who took care of the biggest problem you and I have when he gave and delivered Jesus to us, and Jesus took the penalty that you and I deserve, is it not logical that all the other things that we need and maybe some things that we want He'll pour into your life and into my life? Absolutely, it's right. So we see that if God is for you, you, and then we see the next promise that we have here under the same heading. It says, verse 33, who will bring a charge against God's elect, God's Christians? God is the one who justifies. Now, who can be against us? Nobody. Now, who can bring a charge against us? The answer to that is nobody, because God has justified us. God, as the judge, has already pronounced us innocent on the basis of the shed blood of His Son, Jesus Christ, who was delivered up for you and delivered up for me, and now nobody can charge us. How can they charge us when the verdict is already in? This is a law court. This is an argument that is being forgiven. And it's it's a beautiful thing. Very simply, who can be against us? Who can charge us? Absolutely, because God Himself has justified us. Some people have the idea that God is reluctant in justifying us, you know, God, you know, to make it right with him, he's reluctant to do that. And, And you can read in Luke chapter number 18, a parable of Jesus. This is a parable of a judge who is crooked and doesn't care a hoot about people. Doesn't care about, a crooked judge has no compassion for people, and there is a widow woman who is being oppressed illegally by an enemy. And the only way she can get any answer is for the judge to stand before the enemy and make things right. So she goes before the judge, poor, no influence, but the judge, he's crooked. He doesn't care about anybody and he throws her out of the court. She comes back again, the judge throws her out of the court. And then finally, 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 she said, you know, the only answer I have is the judge to do the right thing. She begins to pester him, another theological word. Jesus says she shows up at his door when he leaves, presents her case. He goes out to eat, she presents her case. He goes to work in the court, she presents her case, and she does this over and over and over and over again until finally the judge says, Do something with this woman. She's driving me crazy. Take care of her problem. Now, you've heard this taught illegitimately. People have said, trying to understand this parable, well, God is the judge. And to get through to God, you've got to pester him and pray and pray and pray and pray and pray and pray pray to get him to relinquish because he's tired of hearing from you. That's been interpreted like that. That's not what this parable teaches. It teaches that God is totally unlike this crooked, uncaring judge. God is a judge who loves, who wants the best for all of his children, who can say, Abba, to him, and therefore he is on their side, and he is always open and available to listen to our deepest needs and wants. You see, that's what that teaches. And therefore, who can charge us? Nobody, because God has already pronounced us innocent. Then the question is asked, who can condemn us? Well, you say, you know, other people condemn us. We know who can condemn us. He says, but who is the one who condemns us? Verse 34, Jesus Christ is the one who died, was was rather one who raised, who is at the right hand of God, who intercedes for us. What is that all about? Who can condemn us? Jesus died, raised from the dead, He intercedes for us at the right hand of God. Here you have, in this courtroom legal environment, you have two law offices. You have one heavenly office and we have one earthly office. In the heavenly office, there is Jesus who is there at the right hand of the Father, and Jesus, as he called himself, is our advocate. We have an advocate in heaven. And the Holy Spirit, who is in the law office down on this earth, he is our counselor. He's called our counselor. So we have an advocate in heaven, and we have a counselor on earth, Jesus in heaven, the Holy Spirit on earth, and therefore, who in the world can condemn us? The judge has already decided the case. So, if God is for us, Who can challenge us? No Who can condemn us? No Who can bring charges against us? No And then we come to the last thing. It's even better, and I'll not totally develop this. It says, who will separate us from the love of Christ? And a long list is there. Who will separate us from the love of Christ? Tell us, choir. So what we have built here as members of God's family is an overwhelming case that nothing, nobody can separate you and me from God. Nobody, nothing can improve on God. Let me tell you something. If we're on God's team, well, how do you get on God's team? Boy, I wanna be on God's team. It's very easy. Paul said, take off your old uniform, your old self, and put on your new uniform, the self of Jesus Christ, where Jesus Christ is at the center of our lives and controls our thoughts and our destiny. We take off the old, we put on the new, we're on a new team. What's this new team we're on? I can tell you, God owns the team. Jesus Christ is the coach. The Holy Spirit is the quarterback and we have to just live out our lives on that team to know that we're on God's team, to use our gifts and to function on that God's team, and while we're on God's team, we are bulletproof poos because God. can touch us, can touch us. Is that great biblical assurance for us? It happened at Texas Tech. A student was taking his final exam in logic. He had a tough time with logic. How many have ever taken a course in logic? Lift your hand. You have my deepest sympathy. (laughs) For most of us, it's a challenge. And for this student at Texas Tech, it was a big challenge. He was a graduating senior, but he had to pass his final exam on logic. He'd studied, he'd worked, but he just did not get so many intricacies of that discipline. But the professor said, for this test, I'm gonna let everybody in the class get a eight and a half by 11 piece of paper, and anything you could put on that paper You can use it as you take this test. You got that? Anything you put, and you can imagine, (laughs) you'd write fine all over that paper. You could already see any, any white on that paper. You'd write everything because he said, anything you put on this paper, you can use as you take this final exam in logic. So all the students came in, and this one student came in, and he took that Eight and a half by eleven paper, and put it down by his desk. And in walked another young man who was getting his PhD in logic, graduate student, and came and stood on that paper. <laughs> so, as he was taking the test, anything he didn't understand. There he was, standing on that paper. You answer and help him. In fact, that student was the only one who made an A. (laughs) Professor said, where in the world did you get that idea? And the student said, logic? (laughs) 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 Oh, the logicalness of God. How in divine logic he has provided a way for you and I and whatever comes up in life to have the Lord Jesus Christ that their bias, us, the Lord Jesus Christ as our coach and the Holy Spirit as our quarterback. So we're confident of one thing, one thing, described here in this fabulous passage. If God is for us,